0: Hey, how to write a novel. So I was thinking I might go back to that sweet nature path I was on yesterday. Because I liked it so much yesterday, I was like, why don't I do that again? Why don't I go back to that path? Take the path to shit town and go to that same little Starbucks. I could do the whole thing. Even though I'm just wandering around writing novels It's kind of fun to have a little uh, routine sometimes. My favorite was to go up to the top of Mount Royal in Montreal. Just go up there every day, it was great. When I head back to Montreal in the summer, I'll probably do that again. But the weather today is atrocious, like snow coming down sideways type shit. This is truly the worst weather I've ever seen in Vancouver. I've only been here for a few winters over the course of 12 years or something. This is the worst I've ever seen the weather here, but uh, my friend Doug, who's born and bred, says it was worse last winter, so... So there you go. Yeah, I never made it to that path because the weather was so shit. It's quite a bit better now. But the upside to the terrible weather is I just hunkered down in some coffee shop and stared at the insanity out the window and did some writing. I got—I thought I had this chapter all done. I had it all finished, moved it over to the first draft is done folder, but then I thought of a thing to add on. So I'll either do that later today or tomorrow, but uh, I got a little piece to add. But I really like this thing I've been doing lately. It's not a distinct technique, it's just how it's been going, where one day I'll write down what's gonna happen in like point form. And then the next day, I'll uh, flesh that out into real writing and come up with different shit and add stuff. And it's mostly just that the early chapters were coming easier, which I think was a good sign. It was a good sign when I started this story that I had a very easy time getting ideas to come out of me. Like I intended in my very rough outline for the two main characters to meet at like chapter three and they didn't meet till chapter 8, because I just kept thinking of stuff and adding in things. And I think that was a, a good sign for the longevity of this project, for its uh, ability to uh, sustain a whole novel. So it's not flowing that easily anymore. But it's still going well enough. And uh, yeah, the, uh, writing the, the point form notes first... fleshing them out is working out well and i love writing dialogue it's really weird to look up there's quite a few people that post writing advice like on youtube and they really get some bizarre questions that's a topic i should get into later too as i started to realize the reason none of it really connects with me is because they're trying to write a different type of book than i am but one of the common queries is I hate to write dialogue what do I do about this and man that's bizarre I know I criticized earlier people who ask like where do you get ideas from I kind of rejected that out of hand the more I've been thinking about it I actually think that's an interesting topic that I'm going to get into sometime about accruing ideas because I think even just why that question seems so absurd on the face of it is it's the wrong question. Like, where do you get ideas? Where it really doesn't work that way. The same way that writing is a very slow process of just gathering drips and drops, working a little bit over time. Ideas are the same way. You have a little idea here, a little idea there. I have this one idea that, like, I first had the very kernel of the idea In like 2010, I remember, because I just remember I was playing Bioshock for the first time and it was kind of related to that. And then last year I connected in another piece like, oh, that would fit with that. And then just today, reading an article online, I'm like, oh, and then this could happen. So, I mean, that's absurd. It took eight years for me to get this idea together. And it's still not really an idea. It's still pretty half-baked. But that's... uh, I mean, that's a pretty extreme case. And sure, if I was just sitting there having no idea for eight years, that's absurd. That's not sustainable. But I guess why I find the where do your ideas come from question so silly is yeah, ideas don't come fast necessarily, but you should have like a hundred ideas. Like, that's where I feel like if you don't, if you don't have a hundred ideas, or at least, I don't know, like 10 ideas, you should have a bunch of ideas, and if you don't, that's when I would say, maybe you're not a writer. Maybe it's weird that you're trying to do this. But yeah, the dialogue thing really strikes me that way as well, of like, what do you mean you don't like writing dialogue? (laughs) Like, What do you fucking imagine a book is? What do you think writers do? When you read a book, do you not like reading dialogue? Do you read books? Do you like books? Whoa, can you hear that? I'm walking under some huge power lines and this recorder is big time picking them up. That's fucked up. I feel like I'm gonna get zapped by lightning right now. That's creepy. So yeah, I do not feel like that. I love to write dialogue. I love it more than anything. And that's what I was doing today, just writing dialogue between the two characters And it went so many great places, I was so surprised. Like, I ended up, the conversation took this weird turn. Much more interesting turn, I think. I'll try to get away from these power lines. (laughs) It's a weird, some weird background noise. But yeah, enough turns that uh, a lot of the stuff I intended these two characters to talk about, I couldn't get to, because it wouldn't fit anymore. It would seem weird to get back to the old topics. So I had to snip that stuff out and put it in my overall slush folder for maybe later. Because what happened, what, what I didn't expect, is really neat. It's a, just a random little idea that I had of like, that the one character who's like, like basically a anthropomorphized rhino type person, big tough rhino, humanoid thing, could also have super thick eye, li- not eyelids, but like, Eyeballs, I guess, like the like coating on her eye could be really thick and tough For like sandstorms and stuff on her crazy planet So she could just like touch her eye just put her finger right on it and just be like see I don't see you that good because look at this (laughs) Look what I can do and the other character who is like a uh, You know, xeno-anthropologist or whatever like studies other aliens didn't know about this. And she's like, that's weird. How do you not know about this stuff? And he says it's because her species has never agreed to take part in any kind of a study or a survey or anything. So there's really not much that the other species of the galaxy know about her people. And she feels this real, like, happiness and pride of like, that's so awesome. Like, for however long, whatever indeterminate amount of time, that these different species have been flying around the galaxy, bumping into each other presumably quite a long time. Nobody from her species, not one, submitted themselves to cooperation, (laughs) you know? And they do live quite an isolated life. They only have their one homeworld, and that's why now that this homeworld is gone, there's so few of them left, because they never spread out anywhere but she's just so like happy and proud that it's like yeah whenever the little scientists came around every single one of my species they talked to every single one told them to fuck off <laughs> you know and this character i mean she's a jerk so she's like just so happy about this she's like that's so fucking great i'm so proud of my people i can't fucking believe it we are the best but then in that same instant the moment that that little unexpected moment of like happiness, of like that she hasn't felt in a while, that pride hits her. At the exact same time, it opens her up for the realization or like the the reality that she's trying to ignore: that most of her species is dead, that everyone she knows is dead, that she's an endangered species now, which she's just been trying so hard to not think about. So in that moment, the happiness opens her up to, at the same time, this horrible depression of just like, fuck, oh, I didn't want to think about that, I don't want to face that. And even though it's just this weird abstract story about fucking aliens and extinction-level events and planets blowing up and this big-time crazy-ass shit, even, like, writing that scene I kind of didn't expect it either. That wasn't in my notes. They weren't supposed to talk about the eyeballs. They weren't supposed to talk about scientific studies. They weren't supposed to talk about any of this. And it just kind of happened as I'm writing. And I really, like, I felt myself, like, a little choked up by my own shit. And I really think, like, that's... That's what you gotta be like. Be a writer. That's what you gotta feel. Like, you've got to be able to identify with this shit. Now, whether this will come across to anyone else, I have no idea, especially not on this first draft. Like, I think that'll be the subsequent drafts and the polishing things up and the really like that's gonna be my whole goal ultimately. Is can I make anyone else feel the way I feel about this idea? But it's just like it's just such a weird thing that I'm like at this coffee shop and I've just kind of gotta. Pull my hood up a little <laughs> just because I just don't want anyone to notice that I'm like getting a little teary eyed about nothing. I'm just sitting there with my phone. But it's because I'm thinking about this character that is important to me. And this character's having a bad fucking day, and like I can feel it. And I think that is, I mean, that's the kind of book I'm trying to write. That's the way I think it should go. I mean, particularly like having beta readers and running all your stuff past other people and, like, this whole thing of, like, just trying to make a story that makes as many people happy as possible is such, seems like such a recipe for blandness. I mean, I reserve the right to change my mind in the future when my fucking technique completely fails (laughs) and I have to recalibrate everything. But for now, that's how I feel of, like, it's like there's an old Joss Whedon quote where he said, he doesn't give people what they want. He gives them what they need. And I don't think it's coincidence that he is such a unique writer and that he, I mean most Joss Whedon shows are just, you know, whatever dumb shit most of the time, but every once in a while they hit in that big way that just no other shows do, that no other popular writer does. And it's cause, cause he's trying to express something that, that idea that he's trying to give you what you need. You don't even know that you need it, but you do, because he's reaching into... I mean, like a classic example is that Buffy episode, The Body, about Buffy's mom dying. And that's obviously pulled from Joss's own mom dying. And that's, that's what you've got to do, you know? You've got to find what gets you teary-eyed, find the idea that means a lot to you. And that's what you've got to present. Because you can't just give people what they want, it's just going to be another Just, it might be, even if it's a good book, even if on the surface it's like, hey, what a fun book, I liked that book, but then it just evaporates and it means nothing. To me, the the idea, what I'm trying to do here, is a story that doesn't evaporate, you know, something that sticks with you because it came from a weird angle, it hit you with something you didn't expect, and you realize that it is something that's been lodged in you, some idea, some aspect of life, that other people haven't been reaching and haven't been touching and haven't been addressing. And finally, someone does. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of stories that I like and that's the kind of story I wanna make. Which also ties in, I think, to the idea of of how do you get ideas? It's like, well, what hurts you a lot? <laughs> you know, What is it that you can't think about without feeling terrible? There's an idea, there's the idea, that's it. And along those lines, it made me think of this YouTube video I saw years ago. It's this lady named Jennifer Kalari, who is a child psychologist. And she was talking about her early days, first kind of, you know, getting into that field. And she'd be at these houses for kids who were, you know, didn't have a home to go back to. So it's like the halfway house type place. And these kids are just like young to mid teen. And how the prevailing wisdom was to not get too attached because these kids were just uh, on their way somewhere else. You know, they're just passing through. And uh, if you're too soft to them, or if you're too nice to them, or if they get attached, that that's just bad for everybody. And that's not the way to go. And this lady, Jennifer did the opposite. She's like, that seems fucking really dumb. I'm not gonna do that. So she would read them stories at night and be, be nice to them. You know, it's so simple, but it's crazy how simple, like, I really feel like our society, it's so fucking backwards and so ridiculous and just, it's just garbage. <laughs> it might be the best around, but it's fucking trash. And there's so much about it that's not even complicated. It's just so simple. And this story, it's just so simple but so fucking heartbreaking. It's just like the first time I heard this, I just started crying. I just couldn't not. And it's this 11 year old girl who was, you know, really tough and really difficult and just a real handful to deal with. But Jennifer started like reading her stories at night and just tucking her in and being nice to her. And the day before this girl was set to leave, and go off to, you know, wherever the next step was in this process of just being a displaced child. She held Jennifer's face between her hands and said, like, I just want just to take a moment to look at you because I just want to remember this face. I want to remember the face of somebody who was nice to me. And that is like the saddest thing ever. <laughs> you know, it's crazy how sad that is. And I was thinking back to that little clip because this story I'm writing now is not directly related to that. I'd forgotten all about it, but that, that idea had, you know, that idea and many like it have been in me for a long time of like, what is wrong with this place? And like, what is, this is the shit that's important and we're just fucking it up and we're doing such a bad job. And ultimately, in the end of this novel I'm working on, the idea is calamitous failure of like this war orphan kid is basically going to get her hands on some power and it's going to go real, real bad. And the kind of uh, surface easy sensationalist way to look at it would be like the oh shit this is like the origin of a bad guy can you believe this character was the bad guy the whole time which is becoming somewhat of a common trope it's really not that unique of a thing anymore and that's a surface level version of it like there will be like at the end you know she's there's like the the warrant out for her arrest or whatever the space equivalent of that is of like you know this this is a pirate you need to we need to stop this person and she's proud she's happy happy while crying but like that she's fine I'm a pirate then good that's what I am but really the point of the story is the same as that little this little YouTube story I'm gonna play is when someone is in trouble and someone is having a hard time and there's no one there to offer support and to help when they all just want to shuffle you off to the next person and no one wants to take the time and no one wants to care about you, these people will find ways to cope and they will find ways to overcome their situation and they'll find ways to get through it. But it's not going to be a way that is good for anybody. It's not going to be what you want. It's not going to be what you like. When people are just ignored and denied, the coping mechanisms they come up with is the type of shit that tears everything down, you know? And that's what this story, that's what it's about. Set on a space station with rhino and squid people and whatever, (laughs) but but that's what it's about. So here's the sad, sad YouTube tale. And uh, that's it for today. I'll talk to you tomorrow. So ladies and gentlemen, my friend, Jennifer Kalari.
1: Thanks, Erica. So the origin really is I I did my undergraduate degree in psychology. I thought, okay, I want to do something real. I want want to be with real kids and real families and real people. So I I took a year and I went to work uh, at a group home. So this is a group home actually for street kids. So they're 11 to 16 years old, if you can imagine, um, who had all been sexually abused, all been physically abused, deeply traumatized and I'm hired to work at this group home. I have no idea what I'm doing. They knew it. Uh, They ran rings around me. They were so smart. I had no idea what I was doing with these kids um, and and really lost control of the whole situation. But what was interesting at night when these tough, tough kids that were so scary and could be so prickly um, went to bed, they turned back into kids, right? So the jammies came on, the makeup came off, the teddy bears came out, and they turned into children. And the the sort of philosophy at this group home was just put them to bed, that's it. Don't get too attached to these kids. It makes no sense because they're not there for very long. So don't get them all attached to you because you're just going to leave or they're going to leave. Um, None of that made sense to me. These were babies. These were kids. So I couldn't just close the door and say goodnight. I sat on their beds. I read them bedtime stories. I rubbed their backs. I sang them lullabies. And these tough, scary kids loved it absolutely loved it. They melted and I melted doing this with them. It was really beautiful and I noticed the next day when it was time for me to get those kids to do the things that I needed them to do, they were much more likely to do it for me. Now, this got the staff in a bit of a ruffle. Oh, she's being too nice. She's being too soft with them. They're going to walk all over her. She's a bleeding heart. This is ridiculous. But that actually wasn't what was happening. There was a connection. We had a relationship. And if you were here yesterday for Dr. Neufeld, he talked about kids will be good and want to be good for you when you give them your heart, when you're connected to them. And that's exactly what happened with these kids. So it really changed what happened for me. And there was one little girl there. She was really a a particularly tough kid and um, loved the bedtime routine, absolutely loved the lullabies. And she was leaving the next day and she put her hands on my cheeks and she said, I just want to remember this face, the face of someone who cares about me. And I never forgot that moment. That was a moment when I realized, okay, connection, compassion, empathy. These are powerful things. These change behavior. And I knew that very second I wanted to be a social worker. There was never a doubt in my mind after that. Um, It was a very, very beautiful moment.